Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Marty Fonke. Marty had his first business exit over 20 years ago when a business he launched with a couple of friends was acquired for seven figures after just 18 months in business. This resulted in Marty having a completely skewed perception of what it takes to sell a business. He thought every business owner had, a, uh, had people knocking on the door wanting to throw wads of cash at them. 20 years later, Marty has helped businesses scale to over a billion in revenue and executed over $400 million in mergers and acquisitions. He and his partners are actively acquiring businesses in a variety of verticals, including e-commerce, consumer goods, health and wellness, agencies, software as a service, and more. He's also an mergers and acquisitions advisor, helping business owners on the, both the buy side and sell side, helping co- and helping companies uh, execute a growth through acquisition strategy. After dozens of transactions, he knows now that buying and selling a business can be frustrating, stressful, and time-consuming, but it also can be rewarding, fun, and of course, lucrative. Welcome, Marty, and thank you for being on my show today. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really, really honored to be here. Um, I, this is one of the funnest things I do throughout the week, just talking to people who are in this space, learning kind of where you come from and how, what got you into the space. And then, you know, there, the, the whole one of the whole reasons I do this show is I want to learn from your uh, lessons, right? I don't want to, there's a lot of lessons you've done. If you've done you know, $400 million of deals, there's things that you've come across and seen that I probably don't want to encounter on my own. So I, I, I go out, <laughs> I, right. I, I learn through other people's uh, trials and errors. And hopefully uh, when, when something like that comes, you know, in my space, uh, I know what to do with it. So let's just start with, you know, kind of how did you get into the space, uh, into mergers and acquisitions and um, you know, let's just start there. Yeah, absolutely. So you touched on it a little bit there with, with my my first foray into that, which was I had I had no idea what mergers and acquisitions was. I had no intention of starting a business and selling it. It was really just me and a couple of buddies had started a business. We um, were, were quite successful, uh, but it was it was literally a grassroots business. It was something we were doing on weekends, and then it exploded. And we got the product on QVC and we started doing millions of dollars in sales. And then we got it in Japan and then we got it in Brazil. And it just in very short order, it became a really great business. And a company came and and offered us a a wad of cash. And we were like, okay. I mean, it was literally a side gig. Um, So, you know, at at that point, I became involved in the world of mergers and acquisitions. I had no idea I, I was. I just thought I'd sold my business and made some nice money. But um, it was a couple of years later, I was working for uh, a large company and I was starting uh, a, an entirely new division and, and they were on a fast track of, of growth. And we were competing with this other company that was just out marketing and out promoting my team. And it was really frustrating because I normally am, I like to be the, the the best, right? The best out there. So we were we were uh, kind of getting outplayed a couple of places and I was sitting with my CEO and I was kind of explaining what was going on. And I, and I, you know, I said, I, I wish we could just hire these guys. And he goes, well, why don't you just go buy them? And I, I said, what, what do you mean? He goes, well, if they're, if they're that good, let's go buy them. 
okay, that's an interesting thought. I never even thought about it. So I actually reached out to them and these are, you know, these were essentially sort of competitors. They were, let's call them cooperators. They were, they were in some ways related to the business in other ways, competitive to the business. So I reached out and I said, Hey, would you guys be interested in selling your company? And they're like, sure. So we, uh, we began conversations and within about four months we had acquired the company and all those guys worked for me. And, uh, uh, then I learned about the concept of aqua hire, and I learned about the concept of of you know growing through acquisition and not just organically. And, and until that time, I'd I'd been very successful growing many many businesses to you know hundreds of millions of dollars, but all of it through sales and marketing. And it was at that moment I went, oh, there's another way to grow a business. There's another way to add revenue. There's another way to add profit, and that is just to acquire it and plug it in. And that's when the light bulb really went off. And so that that really kind of began my my career. We wound up doing um, just under $300 million in acquisitions total uh, and built that to an enterprise value of $600 million. And, and, uh, and then we went public. And it was a very, it was a very fun ride. Uh, I, I must admit, it was a very fun ride. And uh, today I'm, I'm doing um, some of the same types of things and helping other companies grow through acquisition and understand that strategy and understand that. Oh, by the way, we we bought that business for I believe that transaction was about three million dollars, and I think the total cash outlay was about three hundred thousand, and we leveraged the rest in some creative financing. So, <laughs> it gets to a topic we may talk about later, which is you don't have to have a huge war chest of cash in the bank to go and acquire businesses and grow your current business. But we can talk about that later if you want. Yeah, that's absolutely uh, one of the things we should talk about is some of the misconceptions in the marketplace. Yeah. So, um, you know, through this process, you uh, kind of stumbled into, and it's funny, most business owners I talk to, uh, a lot of business owners stumbled into being a business. You stumbled into mergers and acquisitions to some extent, just because you uh, you, your, your first business had a successful ex- exit or the, the, the one that you mentioned in the in earlier had a successful exit. And then you went to work for a company who wanted to do some acquisition. So what is like one of the key takeaways? Like there's got to be something in that, like the whole process that you wish you would have known on day one that you know now, right? You got, there's some knowledge you have now that man on day one, if I'd have had this, it would have made a huge difference. That we need a four-hour podcast for that. There's a lot of things I wish I'd have known on on day one. So I, I think just having the awareness of have mergers and acquisitions is not necessarily something just for the big guys on Wall Street. Mergers and acquisitions can be a way that any business can grow their business. Any successful business owner can expand their portfolio, expand their net worth. Um, leverage their operations. Um, you know, for example, a, a, let's say a manufacturer has a uh, a manufacturing line, and they currently are at you know sixty percent capacity, and they have they have the, you know the ability to to manufacture more, but they can't sell any more widgets than they're already manufacturing. So they're sitting there with inefficient manufacturing. Well, what if you acquire a business that is also selling? a widget that's similar. And now you can fill that capacity and now you've made your core business much more efficient by adding in other business that you may acquire. And so really it's just the open-mindedness of, you know, like one of those early transactions was, oh, these guys are, these guys are out, out 
you know, outbidding me and Google and they're doing this and they're doing that and they're trying this and they're trying that. And, and you know, they're, they're frankly outbeat my team. And then the CEO said, well, then just buy them. That's huge. That's a huge, it was a simple thing for him to say to me. And it was, it was a tuned out to be a very lucrative activity for us to execute. But most business owners would never think of that. You think of, oh, how do we market more? How do we sell more? How do we get more customers? How do we organically grow the business? You know, how do we, how do we defeat the, the competition? How do we outsmart them? And very rarely do people think of, how do we just buy them? Let's buy their brilliance. Let's buy what they know and bring it into our business and partner up and go out and conquer the world. And that's really, to me, the, the biggest thing is just having that open mind to this is a possibility and a, a possibility that few business owners ever really think about. You know, it's interesting is uh, I've, we've all heard of acquiring a business, mergers, acquisitions. Um in the last few years, it's been very common. Like Google and the big companies have been doing aqua hire for a long time, just acquiring a company for the talent pool. Right. Um, a new one came up for me the other day, and I don't know if it's just we the guy made it up when he called me, but he asked me if I ever heard anybody trying to aqua retire. And I was like, what do you mean? He says he doesn't want to step totally away from his business, but he's ready to like go down to five, 10 hours a week. Oh, okay. He's wanting to acquire one of his competitors. It's pretty much like he said, is run better. You know, they use EOS. They use a bunch of the stuff. They're well-oiled machine, way better than what he thinks his is. Okay. With the hopes that he's going to step back and be an advisory kind of a board member and let the other management team he acquired run the whole show. Okay. And that was a really unique. I was like, wait a second. That's something that could be done for a lot of these baby boomers that want to retire. They still want to come in and, you know, sit in their desk 10 hours a week and do some things, but they don't necessarily, you know, they don't want to walk totally away, but they're also ready to, to, to back down and, and know what the succession plan is. Yeah. So uh, I'm looking into that a little bit. Have you heard of, you heard of that or have you seen people? Well, that's, that's a next level up from what I normally hear. So, and, and, and even what I normally advise, because I, I work, you know, I get calls all day long from people wanting to buy and sell businesses. And so one of the things that, that, uh, another thing that's like people have a misconception about or they don't think about is they think that if I sell my business, I have to sell all my business. Right. Like you can't like they, they think of it like real estate, right? If you have a house, you have to either buy a house or sell a house, but you can't buy, you can't sell part of your house, right? Well, with a business you can. And so I have actually helped some owners with their, uh, which I'm I, I, with permission, I'm going to ask you to steal this phrase of aqua retire because it's fantastic. I've never, I love it. it. Go for it. I, I think I we do. should coin I it do. and use it all over the, over the industry. So, so, so one of the things that, that I've helped people do is they don't necessarily want to walk away completely from their business, but they've hit a point in their life where they do want to back off. They don't want to work 60 hours a week or 40 hours a week, or you know maybe they just want to work 20 hours a week. They don't want to be completely not involved with the business. Well, guess what? That makes a perfect retained equity deal where I'll have somebody else's, they, they don't necessarily want to, uh, they want to have a business that's minimal risk, right? If the, if the current owner is staying on and you're a new buyer, your risk is much lower. If you have their intellectual property that's, that's still there, you have their, their expertise, their network, their connections, et cetera. Um, and so for an owner to sell 80% of their business or 70% of their business or 90% of their business, step away, they, 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 and it allows them to double dip on the, on the returns as well. So let's say an owner has a business that they've been running and it's worth a million dollars and 
they sell it for a million dollars today and they walk away with, them with that cash in their pocket. Wonderful. But what happens if they do an aqua retire, like you talked about, and they sell it to somebody who's got a, a an intense growth mindset? So they sell the business, let's say they sell 80% of it for $800,000. They've got a nice nest egg in their bank. They've got money for retirement. They can travel, they can play, but they stay involved in the business. And that business owner comes along and, and doubles the business to $2 million valuation. Well, a couple of years down the road, what is that retained earning? Now that's worth 400000 instead of the 200000 that they would have gotten by, by selling it all at once. So I like that retained equity, retained earnings or retained equity aspect for, uh, you know, sort of semi-retirement. Now, your, your call that you got from the other day was somebody who's wanting to go acquire a business and then retire. It's an interesting concept. I wonder how effective that is because that's a lot of work to acquire a business and integrate it and get your feet underneath you and, and, and help to grow it. So uh, it's a cool strategy. I've not seen that. I uh, I'd like to I'd love to follow up with you and hear how this this person did because that's a it's very interesting strategy. But as far as like uh, you know Aqua retire, that is absolutely something that I've seen many times. And it's and again it's it's oftentimes something that I've counseled somebody who calls and and I realize they're not ready to completely let go of the business, but they do want to step out of the day to day operations. So it's a great strategy. Yeah, and I'm a big believer in leaving some on the table for the previous owner for all the reasons you mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are some, like if company has been around for 30, 40, 50 years, there are some clients that are going to call and demand to talk to that owner. Exactly. Right. And usually I think you can get around that most of the time, but if something's bad, like, you know, you made a mistake or like price changes because of the industry and they want to talk to that original guy, it's great to have them there to, it's like, okay, well, yeah, we can, we can line that up. Yeah. So uh, in that particular case where the guy wants to do the aqua, uh, retire and he wants to buy another business he already is kind of friends with his competitor okay. he knows how well it's run uh they were in like a um a young entrepreneur thing one of the eo now they call it together um they compete in one of their that's weird is they compete on a couple lines of products but they supply each other parts for others okay so there's so good... so cooperators right cooperation yeah that's and a, that's a great strategy and um the other guy already has an, EO, uh, an employee uh, stock option plan. So that was part of the reason why he was going to acquire the other guy, introduce his employee stock option. So his employees get a piece of it. And, you know, the other guy that's going to act as a CEO, um, you know, I don't even know if I'm going to get involved in the deal. He kind of just called me and said, is this totally insane? Can this be pulled off? I said, it's a business. It's, you can structure it any way you want to. Mm -hmm. Right. And I told him I'm stealing the phrase. I've never heard anybody use that phrase. I'm stealing it. And I'm going to use it everywhere I go now because <laughs> Aqua Retire is an we'll awesome. Make it go viral. Yeah. So he's like, all right. Um, but it's the same thing you said to me. Is like I told him, so I'm, like, well, I'm going to be using that now. Um, but yeah, his is a unique case in the fact that you know he's going to he's want he's wanting to uh, acquire a smaller company that's better run so that at management strategies and that management um, mentality can help run his and he can step, you know, step back. So uh, I, I'll, I'll step in and help if he needs the help uh, on that particular case, but I will follow up with him. Uh, he just reached out to me because of from a mutual friend and uh, told him I was in this space and said, you know, wanted to know, he wanted the sanity meter from me before he started calling the attorney and telling him to line up the paperwork. Yeah, so, exactly. I was like, you know, I looked at it. So that sounds pretty cool. You should try it. You know? Yeah. 
let's jump right into the um, what are some of the other like big misconceptions out there? We already mentioned one, like you just have to have a war chest of cash, right? Um, yeah, so we can we can talk about that. So I get a lot of business owners who talk to me about, well, I'm not interested in selling my business, but I, I'm interested in in growing. Or or usually what I hear is someday, someday I'd like to acquire other businesses and grow my business through that. But and I always ask them, well, why someday? Well, I, I, you know, the money, I don't have the money. And, and that's, I hear that so often that I, I appreciate you giving me that opportunity to kind of share this because it is a huge misconception that you need. People think, oh, I, you know, I want to buy a $3 million company and I need $3 million in cash. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Right. And especially in, in, in the world we live in right now, which is, you know, early 2022 at the time of this recording. There is so much cash available to buy businesses that's not your own. And, you know, whether it be revenue-based financing, whether it be, you know, hard money, whether it be the SBA, um, there, there are literally hundreds of options of how to buy a business and put very little of your own money into it. And so we've advised lots of different companies who have, you know, seen a, they have a competitor they wanted to acquire or a vendor that they wanted to acquire or something like that. And they're like, Oh, we wish we had it. It's like, you have the money. Trust me, you have the money. Um, whether, you know, we've done deals where, where no cash at all has changed hands and it's been purely equity swaps and, you know, coming out doing, you know, doing a dollar for dollar equity swaps. So if you're a business owner and you, have run up against a brick wall and organically growing your business and you've you've sold as much as you can sell you're out of customers like you know your marketing dollars are not as effective as they used to be your facebook budget's out of control and you want to look to how you can grow acquiring new books of business acquiring new customers acquiring new employees could be the way to go and you don't need a huge bucket of cash to do it and there are hundreds of ways to do it and and a good advisor can help you sort all that out and it's way beyond just like, okay, you're a million dollar company and you acquire a million dollar company and now you're a $2 million company, right? You doubled overnight. That's beautiful. But in most cases, there's some product differences. So you got the cross sell and upsell of you know, each other. So where it's not one plus one equals two in most cases, right? Absolutely. It's, one, it's plus one, one plus one equals three. two, three or three and a <laughs> half, right? Yep. And people don't get that. They don't understand that like, you know, and in most cases, you know, if when you start looking at that, it's even one plus one equals four because you realize you don't have full penetration for your entire product line. When you start looking at, well, I could cross sell these guys, it usually will open the eyes of the business owners going, hey, the, most of my customers have products one, two, and three, but, you know, we introduce products four, five, and six much later. And they don't, I, I'm not even sure they know they exist. Right. So when you're busy trying to cross sell and upsell that new company's products, you, you'll find that, you know, you're going to, you know, take care of some of the gaps you missed out on your own. So, well, and you're talking about all revenue and pro re revenue stuff here, but there's also okay. on the other side, there's overhead and profit, right? So mm. if you have a million dollar company with 10 employees and you buy a million dollar company with 10 employees, guess what? You probably don't need 20 employees to run your new $2 million company. So you now you have two options. So option one is you can reduce, reduce overhead, which right now, there's a time when when that would have been a nasty thing to say. Oh, you're going to take over this company and fire people. Well, guess what? Most people, most businesses, they can't hire all the people they need. They need 20 people and they can only get 16 of them. If you, if you get to that economy of scale, 
you know, that gives you that opportunity now to actually run the business more efficiently. You're not firing anybody. You're just leveraging the current marketplace, which is you can't find anybody to hire anyway. Okay. But the uh, the other thing it does is let's say you buy your $1 million company with 10 employees and you buy another $1 million company with 10 employees. And now you have 20 employees. If you don't want to let anybody go and you're not having a hiring issue like so many companies are, that economy of scale means you only need about 15 of those to do the core operations that you always did before. That gives you the other five to go and scale and maximize. Because one thing you always hear from employees, I'm overloaded, I'm doing three jobs, I, you know, I can't work anymore. Well, guess what? If you can get that economy of scale with your existing infrastructure and then use those extra employees to go do those special projects that you've been wanting to get to, to open that new market that you've been trying to get to, uh, execute that new execute, you know, a new EOS or operating system from an operation standpoint, fix your accounting. There's all sorts of things that can be done that can effectively gain a, a substantial amount of profit when you've got that, those options with your staff. So it's a whole other reason. So not just increasing revenues, but increasing profits. So one of the, uh, one of the interesting things I'm seeing uh, out in the marketplace is um, and I've only been, to be honest, I've, I've only been after this for about two years now. The interesting thing I'm seeing is that brokers out there don't necessarily close as many deals. I don't know what the statistics are. I think I've read somewhere it was like 80% of all uh, businesses listed by brokers never sell. I don't want to, I don't know where that came from. So I, I, I know it's high. So what is your gut feel as about sourcing that business? Like how do they, how do businesses find Man, find viable you're gonna get me in trouble you're gonna get me in trouble ron because i uh i'm gonna talk about brokers and and i uh, let me ask you this if you if you see a business for sale and you go oh that, that's an interesting business i may be interested in acquiring that and then you see that it's listed with a broker what what do you do i got a gut reaction and most of the time i go the other way but most so, of the time you go the other way and yeah. and that's that's the case with almost every successful person i know who buys businesses or sells businesses um, I've heard the same statistic. I've heard it's 80% don't sell. I've heard it's 90% don't sell. I don't know what the real statistics are. And, um, and I haven't bothered to look. I do know that brokers, um, for some reason tend to be any of the transactions I've been involved with. Uh, matter of fact, let me say this a different way. I have never closed a deal where a broker was involved ever. And I've tried, I have tried. Um, again, I've spent a lot of hours working on deals where brokers involved. Yeah, I, I, I joke around and say that's one of the only job titles I have ever found that's really well named. Like if you work <laughs> with a broker, you're probably going to be broker that you started with. <laughs> so, and I have friends that are brokers. I actually have a, you know, a couple of friends that actually own brokerages and stuff. But uh, you know, well, I'm I, I, I don't know if you've done interviews with them. I, if you have, I'd love to go find your archives and listen because I don't understand why brokers are such deal killers. Uh, my, my assumptions are a couple things. So um, one is that the way brokers work is they get paid only when they sell something. They, and so they basically, from what I've seen, and again, I don't, I don't want to offend anybody. I just, you asked me the question, so I'm going to talk about what I believe. 
So what I believe is that brokers generally, they get paid only when they sell something. And so they don't, they don't care. They'll list anything. They'll put anything up for sale, whether it's overpriced, whether it's a dog, it doesn't matter. It, they just kind of like throw enough mud against the wall and hope something sticks and we get a commission. Um, the other thing is that brokers get paid one way, and that is as a cash commission for a cash transaction. And so um, you only ever hear brokers pushing three ways of funding a business, cash, SBA, and seller financing. And I mentioned earlier in this podcast, I know of over 200 ways of funding a business. Well, guess what? You can't fund, you can't pay a commission or, or as a broker, you're less likely to get a commission on a deal that's all equity funded or a deal that's, uh, you know, where we're, well, you know, we've had ones where we've had airplanes in the mix and, you know, different things and swapping this and doing that and all sorts of crazy stuff. So I, I think that the reason brokers are such barriers to closing deals is because they only allow transactions that fit within this narrow parameter of this is the kind of transaction where I can earn a commission. Again, I could be totally wrong, but I, I would love to understand why brokers, you know, are such barriers to closing deals, but I'm the same way when I see a business for sale and I'm interested in it. As soon as I know there's a broker involved, I get uh, very much you know, either back away or, you know, exercise an incredible amount of caution. I'm in the middle of a deal right now with a broker where um, we're advising the seller and the broker has brought a buyer for the business. And so I'm very intrigued to see if this is going to close. The broker himself is a very nice guy. I like so far he's been the he's been much better as a person um, in communication and everything else than other brokers I've dealt with. But we'll see if the deal actually closes. Um, but yeah, I don't understand why, but I will say if you're looking to buy a business or you're looking to sell a business, I would highly advise not to use a broker per se because of the the terrible track record that appears to be out there. Yeah, I actually had a, a couple of investment banker and advisors on the podcast, and I asked one of the advisors, what's the difference between a broker and an advisor and an investment banker? And his answer was absolutely brilliant. And... Uh, uh, the broker, you know, in his mind, the broker finds a listing, puts it out on all the websites, waits for it to sell and doesn't do a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Most of your advisors build a exit portfolio or a uh, data room, a set of data to sell it. And then they actually look for who would be perfect acquisition partners, who, who would be the perfect buyer. And then they reach out and actually, you know, cause a multiple bid scenario because they reach out to multiple people that fit that criteria. It's an active instead of a passive campaign to, to sell the business. And then, you know, the investment bankers are the same thing that, you know, as the advisors on, are on the same thing, but they've got it, you know, they're, they're backed by an investment banking, you know, situation. Um, one of the better brokers that I've had on the podcast was Zoran Sarvaka. Uh, he's from Australia. He's got one shop in, uh, I think in Hawaii and he's looking at doing it Been doing it for 18 years. But he's very direct and upfront of the valuation model and not telling owners you're going to get, you know, five or six X when, you know, the way it's, you know, if they ran perfectly, they would get three X and the way they're currently running it, they're probably going to get two. He just mm -hmm. really the way and he's closed quite a few uh, hundreds of deals over the 18 years. But uh, the, and he's got, a, I think, a, he, you know, to his claim, um, 
about an 80% close rate, but it's because he's pricing them right from day one. Yeah. Uh, so when I do put brokers on here, I interview them a little bit beforehand. I don't just let them just walk on like, like you, we met, we're on the show, we're talking, right? right? I had enough research from all your stuff you have online. I just wanted to chat with you and get you on the show. A lot of the brokers, I got to do a pre-screening just because if they're that typical, you know, what I call them in the real estate world is they're, they're listing agents. Like they're all yeah. they're trying to do is collect the, uh, exactly. you know, listing yeah. fees. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not interested. I, I don't know what value they have other than, uh, you know, this is how a broker is going to value your business. Right. One of the biggest problems I see with them is the whole, um, you know, scenario, right? And I've covered this on another podcast. So, you know, apologize if you guys hear it for a second time, but I've got a business that's making a million dollars a year uh, revenue. Let's say it's only a 20% profit margin. So it's cranking out 200K. You know, technically at standard US kind of rates, I should be, depending on the industry, but it's kind of around 3X, right? So I should be getting about 600K for that, mm-hmm. right? I go to business owner, one, uh, business broker number one, and I said, I got this business to sell. And, and he goes, well, how much do you think you're wanting out of it? Well, I need a million dollars to retire. It's like, oh, we can probably get you there, right? Well, it's already, we already know it's worth 600, but this, you know, the broker's like just said he'd get you there. So, um, well, I already got, you know, I'm the business owner. So I've already got two other appointments, other brokers. Let me double check and then I'll come back to you. Right. I go to business broker number two and I go, Hey, you know, I just got off the phone with the other business broker. I'm doing these numbers. I give them my numbers. And I was like, you know, I really want a million dollars to retire. And the last broker said he could get me there. And the next broker goes, well, I can get you 1.2. Exactly. Right. (laughs) You get into a broker bidding war. <laughs> yeah, you know, and by the time you get to the third one, it's 1.5. And, you you know, of course, as a business owner, I want the guy that's going to get me 1.5. He listed it, never sells because it was only originally worth. It's only truly valued at about probably 500 to 600K. Yep. Right. Yep. That's Those are the ones that I, and I, I have those conversations. They call me about usually six to nine months later. And they say, oh, I was with this broker and uh, they never did anything. I never saw a buyer. I never heard any, like it was just nothing happened. Well, nothing happened because it was massively overpriced. And then they say, can you, can you help? And I say, yeah, I can help, but only if you price it right. And your, your, uh, your earlier explanation of the difference between an advisor and a broker is, is spot on. And I'm, I'm really glad it was spot on. Because when you said that, I was like, ooh, I hope it's going to agree. Because I consider my, my firm an advisory firm. And um, I, I was hoping you were going to say what, I, what you said. So that was, that was perfect. So, yeah, we, uh, we, yes, we do the things where, you know, when we're, when we're advising a company to, to sell, we, you know, tell them to put it on business by sale or, you know, Flippa or MicroAcquire or, you know, the different places, you know, Search Funder, all the different places you can put a business. But we are extremely strategic at finding buyers. So we'll sit down and, and I, I ask every every client we work with, I say, give me a hundred names. I want a hundred names of who you think would make the perfect buyer for your business. And we have a team of researchers that goes through and finds out, you know, who, you know, who's the contact and who do we need to talk to? If it's a great big company, do they have an M&A division? If it's a smaller one, who's, you know, who's, is it going to be the president? Is it going to be a, you know, some sort of, a, you know, chief growth officer? Who's it going to be? And so we'll find out who all those, those contacts are. And then we actually go out and, 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 and approach them. We do cold calling, we do emails, we do LinkedIn connections, we do direct mail campaigns, postcards, you name it to reach those prospective buyers. And we generally find, I would say a good 40% of buyers for a business comes from the sphere of influence of the business already. So whether it's the existing clients, whether it's existing vendors, whether it's competitors, uh, 
partners, you name it, we always ask those questions of, okay, well, who, who are all your vendors? Who, who, you know, who writes checks to you and who do you write checks to? That's our first start of our list. And then we look at, you know, who are your competitors? And then which of those competitors do you think would actually make a great acquirer for you? And that always gets this like clenching, you know, I don't, I don't want my competitors to know I'm for sale. They're not going to know you're for sale. We're going to approach them blind and we're going to say, Hey, we've got a business in your industry and we're going to, you know, and, and so they're not going to know it's you until they're, they're pretty far down the road. And um, a good number of our businesses do sell that way. And that is really critical to the difference between advisory and, and we can, we can help. The other difference is that we can do that for for clients or we can just advise. And we have a lot of clients who they do all that themselves. They go out and start putting things together and they do all the marketing. They do all the promotion. They handle all the tire kickers, which is always fun. Um, and we just give them the strategy. We give them, you know, how to price it and how to put together your data room and your CIM and whatever else. But we aren't actually executing the effort for them, which can save them a lot of money um in the in the upfront now generally we stay involved in the negotiations and making sure everything gets gets closed um but yeah we can we can save them quite a bit of money over normal broker fees and and frankly as you mentioned when you're out there strategically targeting specific buyers who you know would make good buyers for the business generally it's gonna you're gonna have more potential buyers and maybe get it into a bidding war versus just throwing it out there on a website and and hoping somebody contacts you so Right. definition description and to your uh previous point before we before we got into this conversation where you were concerned what i was going to call the definition it's always okay on my podcast if i say something wrong call me out <laughs> it makes good podcast right it's like i'd rather be called out than have bad information out there oh, anyway. yeah. so uh like yeah that's not exactly how that works uh you know i am humble enough to know that i'm new enough in this space that I too probably have some misconceived notions about how everything's supposed to work. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'd much rather learn from you on the podcast than I would for, you know, running a multi-million dollar company and doing it wrong or doing, sure. you know, make, making a, you know, I'm going to use a, a, a colorful acronym. I'd, I'd hate to get a hold of something and, and totally turn it foobar. Right. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, I seen when in the intro we talked about you're currently you're currently on you're doing some acquisitions now right in different industries and yeah. stuff. What is the uh, exit plan? Your, your last company uh, you were working for that you did all the big you know acquisitions for them. You, you said you took that public. You know one of the one of the things that I want to know is as as we're acquiring businesses and stuff. Do you already have a kind of preconceived? We're going to do this, acquire them all, package them together and, and do a roll up and take it public or we're going to sell it to private equity or kind of what is your exit strategy on some of the stuff you're doing currently? Well, the answer is yes to all of the above. Um, and the reason why that is, is because I have a lot of partnerships. I really enjoy working with partners who are um, complement areas where where I'm not as strong or areas where I don't have as much interest and working with them to help them succeed, which helps me succeed and uh, helps my team succeed. So I actually have a couple of different strategies or projects going on with a couple of different partners. So there's one where we're building up uh, that exact, you know, doing a roll up in the in in the home healthcare space and, and working on building that out. We've secured the funding and we're, we're acquiring and, and eventually we do want to sell that to PE. Um, I have no desire to go public ever again. That is a 
brutal process. And um, yeah, right now, there's frankly, I think there's more money in, in selling to PE than there is even going public, especially when you look at the opportunity costs and the time. So, so yeah, so I've got one project where we're, we're working on a massive roll up and they want to sell that to PE. Uh, I've got another project where we are looking at just kind of consolidating. We probably won't sell to PE, but we've got a, 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 a certain couple of packaged goods companies um, that uh, we believe we'll be able to sell to. I, I helped uh, a company um, several years ago uh, grow and then and then get sold to uh, Church and Dwight, you know, which is the the big packaged goods company that owns like Arm and Hammer and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so we've got a we've specifically got a kind of a consumer packaged goods play going on there. And then I have other projects that are more uh, buy and holds. Um, so, um, as I start to think about what retirement looks for me, I don't have any desire to like quit and go play golf. Um, I've had for many years, I've had a vision of what retirement looks for me. And that is to, at, at one time, that's funny because I had this vision of, I've, I've far exceeded where I originally started, but I, I wanted to own 10% of 10 companies around the United States. And I wanted to ride around on my motorcycle and visit those 10 companies on a regular basis and consult and advise and be, you know, more, more strategic and, um, and earn my, earn my living from my investment equity. And uh, that was 20 years ago, I think, or maybe 15 years ago that I kind of set that goal. I've, I've had to up that goal because it's more like 30% of 30 companies or, or more that I think will be realistically where, where things look. But I enjoy having a diversified portfolio. I enjoy being in different verticals. Um, I have everything from um, gluten-free beer to accounting firms to health and wellness products to health, you know, home health care, um, agencies, printing shops. I, I have a diversified portfolio, partially because I just like having lots of things going on, but partially because a lot of my businesses do business with each other. And that's part of the prerequisite. You know, if you want to, if you want me to invest in your business, you know, guess, guess what? You know, if, if we do digital marketing, guess what digital marketing agency we're probably going to use. If you're doing, you know, direct mail and printing, guess what direct mail and printing shop we're probably going to use. If you, you know, guess who, right. who the accounting firm is probably going to be ones that I own part of. So um, that's always a great strategy to have a very diversified portfolio, but have it integrated and in, in leveraging businesses with each other. So, um, so that's why the answer is a little of all of the above. You know, do I expect some major big paydays down the road with some of these rollups we're doing? Absolutely. Um, do I expect to continue to work in you know SMEs and work with entre entrepreneurs who have a great fire in their belly? I love I love the energy of working with entrepreneurs. I love building businesses. I love making, creating jobs. I love, you know, coming up with a great uh, marketing strategy and, and conceiving of it and executing it and seeing it be successful. And so, um, and, and if I can do that in other businesses that I'm, I'm a part of, then I'm going to keep doing that. And I will never, ever stop doing it because that's, uh, I, I'm never going to just stop and go play golf. Never going to happen. It's interesting. Uh, two things. I thought I was going to retire. Like, uh, I have some real estate and, uh, was kind of getting burned out on it and the market turned on us here. So it was kind of a, didn't make sense to be buying a bunch more houses. So uh, I moved to Dallas for a couple of years and thinking I wanted to retire and I was going to go fishing a lot and do projects on the side, you know, not even fishing within about six or seven days of fishing every day. I was like, I got to find something else to do. <laughs> and then when COVID hit, the wife is like, you better go find something. Cause when she got furloughed and we were both in the house all the time, 
it's like you better go find something else to do. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, on another note, I heard you say you wanted to ride your motorcycle around and visit your businesses. What kind of motorcycle you got? I have a uh, Yamaha Stratoliner, yeah. which is a, a, a V-twin. Um, it's they don't make them anymore, but it's just an absolutely gorgeous bike. It's uh, it's uh, styled in an Art Deco style, named after a. Uh, an airplane that was uh, uh, the Boeing 707 Stratoliner, which made its debut in the 1940s. And so um, it's a really cool bike. I love it. And um, do, cool. you know, I'm on it as much as possible. I'd be on it right now if uh, if we weren't doing this podcast because it's <laughs> 65 degrees today. I need to, I need to buy another one. I actually uh, I used to ride. Going back to acquisitions and mergers, um, you have a... Uh, the, you have a variety of uh, your hands in a variety of different things. That's one of the things I love about this. I, uh, I jokingly say I'm gloriously ADHD. So this really lends to like being able to test different things, work with different companies, be involved with constantly learning new industries and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I was on the, we had, I don't know if you know who Carl Allen is, but he teaches this. He's one of the mentors in the space. He teaches uh, LBOs, kind of one of the OGs, been doing it for a long time. And one of his top advices was stay in your lane. Right. And I was like, ah, I just, I, my lane, you know, I, I went from IT to getting a degree in marketing, MBA in marketing to real estate. And now I'm in acquisitions and mergers. So at least I have three lanes. But uh, I think the, the lane, that I, the lane I look at on a lot of this, and I don't, I, I think a lot of people out there who are thinking about doing what, uh, I guess the coin phrase for it is acqui uh, acquisition entrepreneurship. Um, if you're looking to do oh, that, that Stagel, didn't you? Yeah, that's uh, no, actually, uh, um, Walker. Uh, oh, from uh, the uh, uh, was it by the uh, what's the book that he wrote? Uh, buy then build. Right? Buy then build. Yeah, yep. yeah, exactly. He, he on our podcast, he claimed that he uh, he kind of originated that. Uh, so I haven't done the origin of it. I'll give him credit for originating the uh, acquisition entrepreneur. Um, uh, so you and I, we're, we're going to own that uh, uh, Aqua Retire. So there you go. I'll share that with you. You can use it anywhere you want. <laughs> I only heard of it yesterday, and I was like, that's a great term. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, so I honestly think this is one of the few things where you could get out there. So, you know, Even in the same industry, you could buy your suppliers. Like I was looking at a concrete plant, and before you even got through, uh, you know, all the negotiations, which kind of fell apart because they had some huge debt. They owe the IRS a million dollars that they didn't tell me on day one. Thanks. But, uh, but you know, as we're going through the process, I just started looking like who's, you know, they, they weld their own doors and stuff and their own hinges and stuff like who supplies their steel, their rebar. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, they build their own forms and stuff who supplies that materials and how, you know, cause this company has been around for 60 plus years. Their suppliers have been around for that while too. So I started looking at instantly started looking at, you know, who am I selling to? Or would they be open to sell, you know, to selling to me, like selling their business back to me or, and who am I buying from? So you brought that up earlier. So, um, I honestly, uh, you know, not to go against Carl's stay in your lane thing. I, I get it. Do you have a higher chance of succeeding if you know the industry, but do you feel that it's necessary, uh, when you're buying? Well, I, I think that it, it depends on your definition of lane. Okay. So, some people here stay in your lane and they think, okay, I've been in the concrete business and so I should only look at doing M&A in concrete businesses. And that may be true for certain people. Now, my lane has always been growing businesses through marketing. And so 
but I've done a number of different types of businesses. So my my lane hasn't been limited to a product vertical or a or a category vertical. My lane has been limited to um, marketing and strategy and growth. Can so you grow it, right? Even though I'm in a number of different businesses and a number of different verticals, I am staying in my lane by focusing on businesses I can grow and I can help be strategic or in, in, you know, they're missing, they're missing pieces that I know how to do in my sleep. And so when I'm looking at a business, I don't care if they're selling, you know, gluten-free beer or whether they're selling, you know, jewelry, if they need the kind of skill sets and connections and resources that I have, then they're in my lane because ultimately businesses all operate the same way, right? It's you have to sell a product or a service. You have to collect the money, you have to deliver it. And then you have to, you know, account for the money operationally and, and, and run the business to turn a profit. And, and whether it's physical goods or whether it's services or whatever else, really business is all the same. So to me, yes, you should stay in your lane, but don't get stuck on your lane being a particular vertical, um, narrow vertical. Because like you said, this concrete company, right? There's steel. Well, you know, would somebody say so, so focused? They're like, no, I can't buy a steel company because I'm in my lane of concrete. Well, steel and concrete, they're, you know, they're industrial materials. Your clientele is probably going to be similar. Your sources are going to be similar. Your labor force is going to be similar. Um, They could be construed as not in the same lane, or you can look at it and say those are exactly in the same lane. So I think it's really a matter of perspective. So I agree, stay in your lane, but I disagree that your lane has to be narrowly narrowly defined as a specific vertical or category. I think you need to be open-minded to what your lane is and the skill sets you have and the passion you have and where can those be beneficial to another business in another category, but still in your same lane. It's interesting is that concrete plant, one of the big problems I've seen there and I thought, well, maybe, you know, sort of trying to run the numbers if we could fix it is they were sitting on 26 acres and they're only using the first probably five or six acres up front for all their buildings. Mm -hmm. And the rest of that (coughs) was quite literally a concrete graveyard. They had actually dug down and buried some of it, like anything that Mal, um, and this is Oklahoma. I don't even know that we have an EPA here. Yeah. I, first thing I asked them was, like, do you have a problem with the EPA? Because they had like 20 acres of just like, cron- you know, concrete graveyard back there. And I was going to buy a big grinder and sell it as, you know, a regrind or, you know, sell it for, uh, you know, you know, fill in or something. Mm-hmm. But I was trying to run the numbers to see if that, uh, if you could make it profitable to grind that stuff down and sell it as gravel. Um, right. Well, that's what that was my first thought was you've got you've got a potential asset in all the concrete there that maybe you could sell. And then, of course, you got a potential asset in the real estate. How much is that worth if once you clear that land and and then, you know, turn in obviously industrial and commercial real estate can be very lucrative. So I always look at everything. Where's the assets? Right. So it's right. a problem right now. It's a problem. It's a big you know environmental disaster back there. But is that an opportunity to turn it around? So it's like you did the numbers. It's not an opportunity to turn it around. But that's how we have to look at things, right? You know, it's what stopped us on that is actually uh, the fun. That was one of the first like big negotiations I had. And I always like to tell the story in case he's listening because he's a buddy of mine. I have this buddy who's a Marine Corps vet, uh, military. I mean, full 100% disabled Marine Corps, Marine, right? And uh, he was in on this deal. And he's in law school. He's about third year into it. He's got four or five degrees and he's a good friend. And uh, but he was in on this deal. He's going to, you know, do some stuff, you know, 
his wife owned a staffing and headhunting company. But um, so I brought him in on the deal. We're like, we're, we're sitting at the negotiations table. Uh, we had already seen the whole horrible their books were. So the offer was uh, that I was sliding across the table is they were doing about 10 to $12 million a year in revenue. And I swear to you, their profit at the end of the day was 30,000 one year and like 90,000 the year before on, on, a, on $12 million. So they were just burning through cash. They owed the IRS 900 and something thousand. They had accounts payable of about two and a half, three million. And um, so they were $4 million in debt. So I offered them a dollar down and I take over their $4 million in debt uh, with the intent was there was another company nearby within 30 miles of theirs that was a selling about 70% overlap in products, meaning they made the same thing, storm shelters, uh, drainage, culverts, all that. They poured the same thing. They, they only had about a 25% product difference. Um, but they were running at a 22.5% or 23% profit margin. Yeah, well, right. right? So my goal, and it was for sale. So my goal is to buy the little one and buy the big one and have the little one help me manage the big one. But uh, what stopped that whole deal was, um, you know, the IRS said, no, you know, they're in, uh, they were going to quarterly meetings with the IRS on a payment structure. And they told them they were about the deal. They told them they were going to sell and the IRS like, no, you're not. So you want to pay the tax tax bill on on acquisition, which is a million bucks out of your pocket. Right. And I had no intentions. They had never tried to fix their number one. Their accounting was really horrible and they had never tried to negotiate or fix the tax bill. So I'd already retained an attorney who had a forensic CPA, it was a tax attorney had a forensic CPA. Um, I say I, uh, my my attorney friend, the guy, you know, the Marine, um, his neighbor is the head lawyer at one of the firms that does. They have a forensic CPA team and they do uh, tax negotiation. Step one for that was to audit all the books, clean them up, and then go to the IRS and negotiate a, a better uh, settlement, you know, to cut that down. And then the same thing with a lot of the uh, vendors they owed, uh, a lot of that was really old and you know i think we could have negotiated settlements out of a lot of it right and uh so the you know it was gonna cost me a lot less than four million to to clean it up but uh you know the irs came back and, and, and actually one of the banks that their main lending uh banks just said no we're gonna they're gonna put you they put them on a plan to help clean that up but um Go back to the Marine. So the offer was $1 down, take over $4 million of debt and not give them anything. And uh, I break out the manila folder. I have the offer in and I'm about to slide it across the table. And I swear to God, this guy turns green. This is a Marine Corps vet, right? Turns green, puts on his mask, jumps up and heads to the bathroom and missed the whole slide of the uh, uh, offer. He, 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 it's the funnest thing to see because I was like, what the hell? Where is he going? And for out last, the, when I, after the meeting, I, I pulled him aside. I was like, "What happened, man? You disappeared." Yeah, I didn't want you. I, I didn't want to throw up at the table when you slid that across. I thought they were going to wad it up and throw it in your face. You know, the funny thing was, is they didn't balk at the dollar down. I had a clause in there because their books were really bad. Uh, I had a forty-five day right uh, right of res, uh, refusal. Basically, I, I could roll it back. I can unwind. I had an unwind clause in the contract. Mm-hmm. It said for the first 45 days that we're in there running this, if we, if we've got skeletons we haven't seen yet and we've seen some bad ones, you know, we, we reserve the option to hand it back to you. And they were more concerned that I would go in there and run it for 30 days and hand it back to them than they were that I was only going to give them a dollar down. No, we were going to leave 40%. We were doing a 60 skeletons they were hiding from you. Yeah. I want, I said, we're down to what we got 53 minutes now. We're getting close to the end. Let's make sure we know people know how to get to the hold of you. I, you know, I enjoy these conversations. We could talk all day on about yeah. and oppositions. 
So let's go ahead and uh, start with your LinkedIn. Uh, for those of you guys who are listening on the podcast, he's on LinkedIn under Mar uh, Marty. And I'm going to spell his last name just because it's not uh, spelled the way that it's, it's pronounced. It's F-A-H-N-C-K-E. So if you... If you go to your uh, LinkedIn and you search that, if you're, or you can go to my YouTube channel, it's on the screen right now at, at the 53 minute mark, 53, 55, somewhere. Uh, you can jump to there. It'll be in the show notes for the uh, podcast and it'll be show notes for YouTube. And then his website is, I'll put that up. It's west, was that westboundroad.com. Uh, and that's just like it's, it's spelled just like it said, uh, W E S T B O U N D. ROAD.com, westboundroad.com. So if you want to reach out to Marty, uh, talk to him, uh, get some of his advice, or uh, you know maybe work a deal with him, this, that's how you get a hold of, uh, of him. Yep. Thank you for that. Yeah. Cool. Anybody that wants to just brainstorm, if they're thinking about selling their business, if they're thinking about you know buying businesses, and especially if you're looking to grow your business through acquisition and you're wondering, you know what are these 200 ways we have of doing that? Yeah, hit me up and we can talk about it. So I have asked a lot of questions. We talked about a variety of topics. You know, is there anything in the back of your head like, man, we probably should have talked about this or many should have asked me that. Is there anything we missed? Um, nothing in particular I can think of. Um, I just, I guess I love doing this so much. I mean, I'm, I'm having the busiest, without a doubt, the busiest quarter I've ever had in my life right now. Um, it's like everybody in the world woke up on New Year's Day and made a resolution to buy or sell a business. Uh, my team is just, we're just all completely buried, but it's so much fun. I mean, I'm getting, I, I'm excited to get up every morning and, and you know, work a 14 hour day <laughs> um, because it's just, it's just so, so interesting. And it's so many interesting people and interesting deals and every business is unique and every deal is unique. And um, it's really, uh, it's really a, a, an amazing time to be in the business of buying and selling businesses. And I'm so grateful to be in it. And if, you know, if it's something that uh, people are thinking about, it's a great time to sell a business. It's a great time to buy a business. Um, which is, it's just a great balance because, you know, selling there's, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of buyers out there and uh, buying a business, there's a lot of cash out there. That's more cash available than ever in history. And so, you know, if it's something you've been thinking about, you know, give it a start. It's uh, it's it could be a, a whole new career for you. You never know. Awesome. Thank you, Marty, for being on the show. Hang on out for just a few minutes when I end the stream and we'll chat for a couple minutes. All right. All right. All right. Thank you. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer -peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's T I E pm.com and check out the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind.